Welcome to the South Elkhorn Christian Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the weekly messages. For bulletin material, reflection guides, and other resources, visit southelkhorncc.org. She was telling me all about her foolishness. Her foolishness. We were having this beautiful conversation, and she was telling me all about how she liked to decorate for the holidays, not just the high decorative holidays like Halloween or Christmas, where people put out lights and yard stuff. No, she liked to decorate for every holiday, even the lesser decorated holidays like Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day. She had the colors to wear and to put all over her home, the yard decorations, the knickknacks. She loved to decorate for the holidays, and she called it her foolishness, her foolishness. She was a playful spirit, beautiful spirit, a strong spirit, and she was telling me all about her foolishness, not just how she decorated her home with this foolishness, but how she got into some foolishness every now and again, and she was telling me about the time she went and got a tattoo with her daughter, a matching tattoo, oh, and her granddaughter on her 85th birthday. Um, Perhaps now you know who I'm talking about. Um... Anne Morgan, the beautiful, amazing spirit, Anne Morgan, who died this year. And we were sharing these amazing, beautiful conversations, these tender and holy conversations where she was sharing with me about her life, about the people, about the moments that were meaningful to her, about the aspects of her life that she treasured. And these were tender and holy conversations, conversations that I don't have very often, but I wasn't surprised to have it with Anne. You see, Anne's a rather direct and matter of fact, was a rather direct and matter of fact person. And it was no surprise that she was going to confront head on the reality that she had been diagnosed with cancer and death was on the horizon for her at some point. She didn't know when. And so she was going to talk to the preacher. She called me, she called Holly. She began having these conversations and they were tender and holy conversations. And I shared with her what I've shared with others when we have these conversations, which is, I am inspired by you. What courage you have. You know, not many people are willing to have these conversations. And I know that this is going to be so meaningful and matter so much to you and the people you love. And what a gift and a blessing it is to give to your family these reflections, these ideas, and these ways of thinking about your death, your memorial service, your life. These are difficult and hard conversations. These are difficult and hard conversations. And, I'm in, and I am inspired every time I have these conversations with people. In fact, I've had some conversations with some of you who are in this room who aren't necessarily dealing with an illness or a diagnosis or a condition in which maybe death is on the more immediate horizon. I've just had these beautiful and amazing conversations as you've done the, the hard work, the courageous work of reflecting on your life and on thinking about your death your funeral, your memorial service. These are difficult and hard conversations, and yet there's something so tender and holy about them, something so incredibly beautiful. And I suspect, possibly, might have a few more of those conversations in the weeks and months ahead. 
Some of you have already signed up for the workshop that's coming up next week at 5 o'clock here at the church on Sunday evening where we're going to be talking about funeral services and reflecting on our life together. Some of you may have a desire to set up an appointment with me, but I hope, I hope that what comes out of this conversation this morning and in the weeks ahead is a desire for that conversation to expand beyond just me or Holly, but that we might find the courage to talk with our loved ones about our life and about the meaning of our death. Yes, these are hard and difficult conversations, not easy conversations. And perhaps it's because we live in a kind of death-denying, death-avoiding kind of culture and society. It can be hard to talk about these things because, well, maybe it reminds us of loved ones who we've said goodbye to, of loved ones who have died in our lives, perhaps tragically, perhaps too soon, perhaps very recently, perhaps on the horizon. And that pain and that grief is not something we want to drudge up in having these conversations about our own life and death. And so it makes sense. We might be a little resistant to that conversation. Or perhaps, perhaps maybe, maybe we're just afraid. We're unsure. We're uncertain. Maybe we didn't have these kinds of conversations growing up, so we're not even sure how these conversations are supposed to go. What does this look like? What does this mean? And when we're unsure and we're uncertain, sometimes we just avoid and ignore, and it's understandable. Or perhaps there's no good place in our society or culture because we are such a death-denying and death-avoiding culture. Perhaps there's no good place where these conversations happen in a safe and meaningful way. You know, often in our culture, success, a life success is measured, measured by how long death is staved off instead of the way someone has deeply and truly loved. And so when culture is, and our society is structured that way, it makes sense. There's not a lot of places where we can have these kinds of conversations. In fact, I was listening to a podcast. It's called Ologies. I was asking some folks recently about podcasts they listened to, if they had any suggestions. So as I was running or doing the dishes or mowing the lawn, I could, I could listen to something. And, um, and some people suggested this Ologies podcast, which basically is a conversation with some scientists. People have ologist in their last name. And as I was scrolling through the different kinds of scientists who were bringing their expertise to the field to have these candid conversations, I saw this word, thanatologist. What is that? Oh, you uh, folks interested in the Greek language or just Avengers fans might know that Thanos is the Greek word for death. So yes, there are certified thanatologists, people who study and deal with and even love, enjoy talking about death and dying. Thanatologists. And this thanatologist, so of course I clicked on it and wanted to, to learn more and to hear more. And one of the things she said really just struck me so deeply. She said, you know, these conversations about death and dying, a lot of people have some big questions. Big questions. But there's no place where people can engage in these questions. She said, it's not exactly water cooler material at the office. And she was right. And my heart sunk a little bit because I thought, that's what the church is all about. The big, important, meaningful, deep, true, grandiose questions that we have. It becomes an environment of love and compassion and mercy where we can talk about these things and reveal our struggles and our fears and receive God's courage and strength and vision and hope in the context of love. 
And then she said something else, and I went, oh. She said, studies recently have shown, especially in North America, that the people who are most anxious and fear death the most, death and dying the most, are religious people. And so I guess on another level, it kind of makes sense that these haven't been conversations we've had in the church. These are conversations we haven't had in the church, even though we do kind of mention death a lot in the church. We talk about Jesus, the one who died and was raised again. We've talk, we talk about his death. And so death is kind of a part, a part of our tradition. And yet even so, we don't engage in the deep questions very often, if at all. And perhaps it's because we are afraid. Perhaps it's because maybe we're not afraid of death. We all know that we all die, but maybe we're afraid, as one therapist put it, most people aren't afraid of death. They're more afraid of the dying process, the uncertainty surrounding that, the grief that will come to loved ones. Whatever it is, I suspect that probably there's a part of us that is in some ways afraid, which is why I found the words of the psalmist this morning so poignant because it invites us into this poetic space of, of acknowledging that there is fear and sensitivity Grief and sorrow, concern. And the Psalms are a place where all the expressions of human life find these incredibly powerful poetic words to bring that into shape and to bring that into our attention. So hear now what the psalmist says in Psalms 55, 4 through 7. The psalmist is in the context of feeling betrayed by a close companion, is threatened by external enemies, and gives voice to this fear when he says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away, I would run, get far away from it and be at rest. Truly, I would flee far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. I wonder if perhaps our culture is, and maybe we ourselves are caught up in the wilderness of having flown far away from the topic or the conversations about death and dying. And perhaps maybe we feel a little lost in the wilderness. One counselor put it this way, that the, thing, the important things in our lives that we actively avoid, we end up investing with tremendous amount of energy. And even though we may be avoiding it, that very thing comes to define and dominate us. And we find ourselves in the wilderness because of it, wandering. Let us pray. God, this morning, whether we feel that we're in the wilderness or not, meet us here in this place. In this church community, in this body of Christ, in this gathering of believers, in this place that is filled with your children, help us to feel the presence of your love that invites us into the big and important questions about what it means to live, about what it means to die, about what it means to love. God, remind us that we are not on this journey alone. That your son, Jesus Christ, goes with us. That this company of saints 
is behind us and beside us and before us, that we are not on this journey alone. God, whatever grief we bring here, whatever sorrow we bring here, whatever fear or anxiety we bring here, whatever confidence and joy we bring here, we give it to you this morning and receive from you your grace, your hope, and your love. Now, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, you who are a rock and redeemer. Amen. I don't want to die. Those words caught me off guard. The words of my little one. I don't want to die. You see, you might not be surprised that in my line of work from time to time, I attend or officiate at a funeral. And so I have to explain to little ones where I'm going and what I'm doing. And I tend to be direct enough with them, sensitive to their age and what I, what I can and should share with them. But we know my wife and I have chosen to be direct and honest and to engage in whatever emotions come from that. And so I've said from time to time, I'm going to a funeral. What's that? I'm going to memorial service. What's that? And I explained that someone in our church, someone that we know has died. They always want to know their name. Who was it? And they have lots of questions. And it wasn't until recently that my littlest one realized that if other people die, does that mean I'm going to die? I mean, he was convinced that when he turned 100, he was going to become the Hulk and live forever. So this was kind of a shock for him. And he had this unsettling declaration, I don't want to die. So I did what Pastor Holly did, which is I immediately turned to a children's book. I said, come, let's read a book together. And I got out a book in which we, that talks, a children's book that talks about the life cycle of all things, trees and bugs, animals, people. Everything that is alive will one day die. And he began to process and he began, so I'm going to die. And I said, yes. I said, but you don't need to worry about that right now. I reassured him. I said, one day, yes, but that's not, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I don't think, I just know that you are loved and that your job is to love big and to live big and to enjoy and make friends and to learn and to go to school and then he said the thing that I really wasn't expecting him to say. Daddy, are you going to die? And I was prepared to talk with him. <laughs> but I wasn't prepared to talk about myself. And I was caught off guard. And he said, I don't want you to die. And what I wanted to say was I think there's a new episode of PJ Masks. <laughs> Wanna watch that? And I did my best. I hope I had kind of good enough parenting. I keep that in my mind. I'm not gonna be a perfect parent and I'm gonna be caught off guard and surprised and I'm just gonna rely on love and honesty and reassurance and hopefully that'll help me get through and muddle through and I'm gonna vigorously then click on parenting links after the conversation to then go back and try and correct whatever I may have totally messed up. In fact, I even did include, there's a, there's a reflection, a sermon discussion and reflection guide that's on the glass table in the foyer or that you can find online that does include a link that I included in my Friday email to some, hopefully some helpful context for parents and talking about death and dying with children at different developmental ages. And so I said to him, I said, yes, one day, whew, daddy's going to die. 
I don't want you to die. Well, I'm really glad you don't want to die, and I'm really glad you don't want me to die. That's good. I don't want to die either, too. And I don't think I'm going to die for a long time. That's why I'm eating all my vegetables and exercising and doing all my homework. Um, I said, but I want you to know that I love you and that I'm going to spend every day of my life loving you. And that when I die, I'm still going to love you. Nothing can stop daddy from loving you. I love you so very much. And perhaps that was enough for him. Or perhaps he really was interested in the next PJ Masks episode. I don't know. But it was a beautiful moment, a moment that I treasured deep in my heart. And I could hear, I could hear in his voice, perhaps maybe some of the same things that were in Peter's voice. Jesus had some close friends. One of the, his closest friends, his, the disciple, his name was Peter. And there's this story in the gospel accounts where Jesus, who talks, not, didn't just die and we remember his death, but he talked throughout the gospel accounts, throughout his ministry of his death. He was unafraid to talk about death and what that meant and how it structured and oriented his ministry and his love and his life. And I think maybe it got on the disciples' nerves a little bit. Like, come on, Jesus. You're a little morbid, buddy. And Peter was so fed up because there Jesus was talking again about his death. And Jesus says, no, Jesus, you will not die. And what does Jesus do? Well, he's pretty harsh. I'll be honest. He's pretty harsh. He says, get behind me, Satan. I think they were able to work that out later and restore their friendship. It's not the nicest thing to say to a friend, but he does say, get behind me, Satan. Or as I might like to paraphrase it, your concern for my invincibility is getting in the way of my vulnerability. Is getting in the way of love and love must always be vulnerable. Yes, even unto death. And so he says, get out of the way, Peter. Get out of the way, get behind me, and see where I'm headed. See where I'm going. A friend of mine uh, talked about the time when he learned that he had, uh, di- was diagnosed with cancer, and how scary and unstabilizing and uncertain that time was for him. And how powerfully important it was and how meaningful it was to have someone call him up and say, Hey, David, I heard that you had been diagnosed with cancer. Let's go out to lunch sometime. And they went out to lunch and they talked. And he could be candid and honest, ask questions. And this person, this friend of his, shared with him how he too had gone through cancer and had some of the same fears and anxieties and concerns and talked a little bit about his journey and also, you know, named that is would be different too. And in reflecting on that time together and reflecting on that sense of comfort and assurance, he says, you know, the greatest comfort in a time of distress is when you can share the journey with someone who's walked it too. And I think God knows that. So much so that God's love for us meant that Jesus would come into the world and die too. Jesus has been on the journey of death. Jesus has gone through dying. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, even bargains with God, as any human might do, as each of us might do with respect to our death and grief. Jesus says, God, take this from me. I don't want to die. 
Is there another way? Perhaps some of you are familiar with the five stages of grief, the five stages according to Elaine Kubler-Ross, which are not linear. It's not like you move from one to the next, but they're, they're cyclical. And perhaps you've experienced some of this yourself in your own grieving process. There's denial, there's anger, bargaining, depression, and perhaps, we hope, acceptance, and maybe toggling back and coming back through. What's interesting is Elaine Kubler-Ross um, developed these stages of grief with respect to people in hospice care who were coming to terms with their own death. We often think about it in terms of learning about someone else and grieving someone else's death, but actually these stages were developed with respect to one's own death and what she observed in people who were in the dying process. And there we have Jesus, <laughs> who knows what that's like, who's in the Garden of Gethsemane bargaining with God. You know, one of the greatest, most amazing things about a life of faith is knowing that we don't walk this journey alone. That God loves us and loves us so much that Jesus would enter the world to walk alongside us, not just as a distant God from afar who can say they're there, but as someone who has been in the process with us and who invites us to lean on his strength and his courage, his honesty and his resilience. When perhaps ours is shaky, when perhaps we're afraid, Jesus has been there too. And I think what we see in the cross, we see so much in Jesus' death. But I think one of the things we see in the cross is that God's love is so big, it must include death. It doesn't reject, deny, or avoid death. It includes death. And by including death, it transforms it. Because there's something bigger and more lasting than death. Something that death itself cannot touch. And that is love. And the work of love is vulnerable to death, but death cannot destroy it. I'm grateful for the tender and beautiful conversations, the honest conversations I've had with people who are both preparing to die and who know that one day, they know not when, they will die. There's something so incredibly clarifying about what matters most in life when we enter into those conversations. There's something about, there's something about being honest and real about that horizon to all of our lives that inv invite us to think about how we're going to live right now. What we're going to do right now. Indeed, perhaps that's why Jesus had such incredible courage, such incredible strength, such incredible vision, is because he knew the death that would come would be included in something bigger. And that while, yes, he himself even struggled with dying, would not let that keep him from being honest and real and vulnerable. Some of the most beautiful conversations I've had is when we've entered into what is real about human life, which includes death. My grandmother had um, congestive heart failure, and I remember the conversation that we had because I had to take off my pastor hat and put on my grandson hat. And as a pastor, I knew that one of the most important things that I could do was 
was have an honest conversation with my grandma because I also knew and was confirmed in talking with some of my family that nobody wanted to talk to grandma about the fact that death was probably coming soon. And when I took off the pastor hat, knowing that that conversation would be important and put on the grandson hat, I felt what all my other family members felt. I don't want to do it. (laughs) I don't want to talk to grandma about that. I love grandma. I I don't want her to go. This was the woman who showed up on my wedding day wearing the same stylish shoes of my bride. What an amazing woman. This was the woman who I knew I could go to as a broke college student looking for a creative way to propose to my bride and said, Grandma, do you you have a wedding ring that I could give to Rebecca? And my grandmother said, yes. One that I designed myself, my 25th wedding anniversary ring. Your grandfather found the diamonds. It's a story for another day. And gave it to me. I don't want grandma to die. This was the woman who let me take handful, handfuls of, dollar, of uh, silver dollars and half dollars and quarters and nickels and dimes out of, out of the jar whenever we went and visited her. These were beautiful, wonderful memories. And I didn't want to lose those And so switching back and forth between my hats, trying to figure out what I was going to do, I finally called up my grandmother. She was in Montana. I was here in Kentucky, and I wasn't able to to be there. And I called her up, and I said, hey, Grandma. And she she could sense it, a quivering in my voice, knowing that there was something I didn't want to say, but that I was trying to muster the courage to say it. And I could hear the peace in her voice. And eventually I said, how are you doing? The doctors say you have congestive heart failure, at least I'm told. What does that mean? And she told me. She said, thank you for asking. And she said, Michael, I want you to know that I am at peace. I have lived a beautiful, long life. And I want you to know how proud I am of you. And how much I love you. And how, after, and how long after I'm gone, my love will still be with you. That was a hard conversation. And one I will never forget. And if it's not talking with my grandma now, it's talking with my daughter and her questions. And she wants to know how I want to die. What she means is, do I want to be buried or do I want to be cremated? I'm like, wow, how old are you? And I told her I wanted to be cremated, that I wanted to be turned into the words we're using right now, or dust or ashes. And, and I told her that um, maybe she'll be able to take my dust to special places one day. You know, Daddy loves the mountains. Maybe you could hike a mountain and sprinkle my dust there. And she said, yeah, I think you would really like that. But can I keep some dust? I wouldn't trade those conversations for anything in the world. Because confronting what is real and true about human life is an opportunity for love to take root and to take hold. 
And love never dies. And so my hope and my prayer is that this church, that this, that this community of faith is one that is so secure and rooted in the love of God that we can have the hard and scary and difficult conversations that are the places where God includes in order to transform. And perhaps what happens here ripples out into the world. Ripples out from our heart. Ripples out from this place. And is a part of what God is doing to make all things new. Thanks for listening to the message this week. Visit southelkorncc.org where you can download reflection and discussion guides to dig deeper into the weekly scripture and message.